basic need that then one finds other needs or wants which become needs you know but one does what has to be done and gets back into the masjid but the other part was uh, whether the verse in the Quran referring to uh, the believers in seclusion in the masjids uh, whether this verse which seems to be a general verse is the basis under which or by which the, the, the scholars uh, hold that uh, the Iyatikaf may take place in any masjid uh, I, the brother is asking me if that was the case I cannot say whether this is the basis of the argument or whether there are actually other hadiths which may be of a general meaning also uh, and he asked if it was possible uh, next week I would uh, bring the hadith which specifically refer to Mecca and Medina um, uh, Brother <coughs> Uthman do you have something on that? I don't know oh, okay. <coughs> Is it uh, haram or shorten the beard? I mean, to, to trim Okay, uh, question concerning the trimming of the beard uh, The vast majority of scholars hold that it is allowable for a Muslim to trim his beard. I mean, under, uh, holding that it is uh, required of a Muslim to grow a beard. Some hold that it is strongly required in the sense of it being a strongly recommended sunnah, and others hold that in fact it is compulsory, and that to shave one's beard is sinful. Uh, having fulfilled the requirement, of growing the beard of course those who say that it is sunnah and not that it is compulsory then trimming becomes you know doesn't really make any difference because according to them you could also shave it I mean you, you should it's better to grow it but you could shave it but uh, those who hold that it is compulsory that the hadiths which command the growing of the beard are general commands which don't allow for any modification to shift that command from being a compulsory command to one which is a recommendation. Such who hold that position are themselves divided into two groups. Those who hold that the trimming is not allowed because the command is to grow your beard and those who hold that trimming is possible and those who allow the trimming also hold that the trimming would have to be in accordance with the way in which Ibn Omar who was one of the narrators of the hadith on growing the beard you know being uh, like a command of the Prophet that he trimmed his uh, beard during uh, Hajj you know when he was preparing for Ihram he would grasp the beard and whatever was at the end of his fist, you know, he would trim. So those who allow the trimming uh, hold, I mean, amongst those who hold that it's compulsory to grow your beard, hold that one may trim what is after the grasp. Other scholars hold that one may trim. The practice of Ibn Omar was indicating that trimming is allowed whether you do so after the grasp or, or, or before the grasp as long as what you've grown on your face is considered to be a beard you are fulfilling the commandment of growing your beard if what you have on your face now can be classified as stubble you know what they call uh, 
12 o'clock shadow and they have different names for it which is when a person doesn't shave for a little while that you know they are starting to appear that the hair has just started growing on their face that is not considered to be a beard and so one would not be fulfilling the growing of the beard in that case but as long as one has grown the, point, the, the, the hair is on the face to the point where we, we classify this as a beard then uh, to trim after that or to allow it to go to a certain length and then trim is uh, optional for the individual or as our brother said to even it or to neaten it to make it what he considers to be tidy because of course this issue of tidiness may be something you know relative but uh, we know the Prophet ﷺ in his own practices you know would groom himself he would grow his beard trim his hair and so on and so and that he was particular about Muslims maintaining a certain level of tidiness so if one sees in trimming the edges you know tidying his beard you know this is uh, his option another person might say well this is not really tidiness you know uh, tidiness is a different well I think what you have to do is look at the evidence yourself if you ask me what is my opinion what do I consider to be the stronger opinion that's different and what may actually in fact be the stronger opinion in, uh, in my opinion what I consider to be the stronger opinion based on what I've seen is that one is allowed to trim the beard as long as what one grows on the face is considered a beard that one may trim tidy but gouging portions out of the beard that is growing the beard and you know shaving out portions of the beard and this is actually uh, breaking the principle of growing the beard you know the beard should grow its natural growth you may tidy in the sense of tidying the edges etc but what is considered beard on your face uh, should be uh, grown of course if the beard reaches a point where it's you know growing up your cheek and it's having difficulty to see for you to remove it to be able to see well then I would say that you know you're doing it out of a necessity here but just for you know chopping pieces to make you know like goatees and you know these type of other forms uh, that uh, one is then cutting off portions of one's beard and you cannot really say one is growing one's beard but growing a portion of his beard blood coming out of the body does it break the fast if you get a cut and you bleed it doesn't break the fast you know uh, if you defecate and some blood comes it doesn't break the fast if you urinate some blood comes it doesn't break the fast as a male however for a female if blood comes from her private that is the beginning of her menses the minute that it begins her fast is broken so if she has 10 minutes left to the event and blood comes her fast has broken she has to repeat that day so we cannot donate blood while no you can din donate blood whilst you're fasting because the giving of that blood does not break or the taking of blood out of your system doesn't break your fast it's the taking in it's whatever comes in but if they're if they're taking blood out in one hand and they're giving you you know glucose in the other hand well then your fast is broken because you're being fed in one hand as you're giving out on the other hand okay. Alaykum Alaykum Salaam Concerning those people who are fasting without breaking up for years if they still present that they have the intention to fast are they rewarded for 
Question, if a person is not praying regularly and they make a sincere intention to fast, would their fast be valid or rewarded by Allah? It is possible. If a person, you know, is not praying regularly, meaning that they have not denied Salah, they have not given up Salah, but out of laziness, you know, they miss one prayer here, miss one prayer there, they, you know, they know they're wrong. But when Ramadan comes, they make the intention to fast and they hold the fast and they try to do it the best they could. Yes, they are rewarded for what they're doing. question concerning one who doesn't pray at all but fast in the month of Ramadan would they be rewarded for that fast I would say that if that person doesn't pray at all believing that the prayer is not compulsory for him then there is no reward for that fast because once he, doesn't, he gives up prayer believing that it is not on him to pray he has become a disbeliever so the fast is of no value to him in terms of reward from Allah. But if he is not praying during the year out of laziness, right? That means that he still has a mustard seed's worth of iman in his heart. Then his fast in Ramadan could be of benefit to him if the fast is a true fast. See, this is we're talking now on a theoretical level. Right? In theory, we say, yes, he could take the benefit. But in practice, a person who does not pray all year long, is out of contact with Allah all year long, is it possible for him to establish a correct fast according to the spirit of the fast, which is necessary before you can get any reward? Because we already said the ritual is not giving us reward. Ritual will, can make us thirsty and hungry. But it won't get us the reward that Allah has promised for the fast. Can that person now establish a fast in accordance with the spirit of the fast? I would say it is very unlikely. You know, I can't say it can never be. But I would say it is very unlikely. So a person who would... Uh, do such a thing as to give up prayer all year long, that person, to me, would be so far off the path, there is no way that he would be able to establish a correct fast. So, though we may accept something in theory, we're talking about what is the Islamic position, theoretically, you know, legally speaking, on this man. We say, yes, if he had not fallen into total disbelief, then yes, his fast may be accepted by Allah if it is in accordance to the Spirit. But could he actually establish a fast according to the Spirit? Practically speaking, I would doubt it very much. Uh, before uh, brothers leave, I just wanted to mention that um, this evening, 
there is a, an invitation to breaking the fast uh, with a couple of uh, new Muslims, American military people who just accepted Islam about a week ago and there will be with them uh, a group of others, Americans who are uh, non-Muslims who may be interested in Islam uh, those, particularly those who are from uh, Western backgrounds or who may be fluent in English who would like to uh, take part in this uh, breaking of the fast and with them and maybe try to uh, offer something in the way of da'wah to them uh, they're invited to um, to come to the uh, call and guidance office in Batha at 5 o'clock because from there we'll be leaving at 5 o'clock to go to the location where we'll be breaking the fast with some, uh, somebody has arranged and uh, so all of you are welcome who feel that you may have something to contribute or if you don't have any place to break the fast and you just like to come and break the fast there you are also welcome inshallah <laughs>
who will judge whether what you have done has broken your fast and there is no reward for you or not. And as I said, when you commit errors of that kind, what is uh, required or recommended of you is to turn back to Allah in repentance and Allah is the all-forgiving, most merciful. Uh, question here. Can you explain the requirements for Umrah which will not require us to sacrifice a sheep? Well, as far as I know, we don't have to sacrifice any sheep for making Umrah. I, this is a question, I think, uh, which came from the sisters. Maybe, uh, I think, may if they meant Hajj, that's another thing, you know. Um, uh, we have three types of Hajj. Uh, in two, you sacrifice, and in one, you don't. The Hajj known as Ifrad, where uh, one goes where one does not join Umrah with Hajj, one does not sacrifice. That is that one would go there and immediately begin the process of Hajj without going into doing Umrah before the Hajj. In that case, no sacrifice is required of the person. But the best Hajj is the one wherein we make the sacrifice. That is the one which the Prophet Muhammad made and we should all try to, to do that. Uh, if we're not able, or for one reason, either economic or time-wise, then we may do the ifrad, the one without the, the, the sacrifice. But we may even make, even though we may economically be unable to make the sacrifice, we may still make that hajj which requires a sacrifice and to fast in its place. So I would say it is better even if you are able to join the umrah with the hajj, do them together that it's better to go ahead and do it even though you cannot make the physical sacrifice and to fast in its place. Yeah, paying somebody to sacrifice on your behalf is considered like you sacrificing. Of course it is recommended if you know you can do it yourself uh, it is better to do it yourself. You know, just like uh, those of us that don't make Hajj here, we are also recommended to make a sacrifice. Those of us who are in our countries didn't go to make the Hajj. Uh, it is better for you to make the, to cut the neck of the animal, make the du'a yourself. However, it is allowable for you to pay a professional butcher, to Muslim butcher, to make that sacrifice for you. Uh, no, it is not prohibited. Uh, in some areas, due to uh, organizational purposes to, to avoid uh, the spread of disease or for whatever uh, reasons where people might just be sacrificing and dropping the animals in people's paths and, you know, they, to try to organize things and do it in a, in a manner which is um, more uh, clean in maintaining cleanliness and health, uh, and uh, also to be able to utilize the meats uh, properly after the Hajj, etc. They've organized it so the slaughter takes place in certain places. But uh, if you particularly want to slaughter, you can find a place in Mecca where you will be able to slaughter yourself. It's not impossible. If it is a big issue for you that you want to make that slaughter yourself, if you want to do it, you can find a way to do it. See, because there are slaughterhouses throughout Mecca itself, 
You see, the slaughter does not have to take place in Mina or so and so. There are slaughterhouses throughout Mecca where they're slaughtering animals all the time. People slaughter animals to have their meals, etc. So one can go to one of those slaughterhouses and perform the slaughter there. Yes, the Hajj Badal, where a person makes Hajj on behalf of somebody else who is unable to perform it due to uh, reasons of sickness or, or ill health or some, some reason which stops them from doing it. It is permissible for you to do it even though they are living if you have done for yourself already. That's the only condition that you cannot uh, uh, do it when you have not already done your own Hajj. And of course when you are doing it for them that has to be your intention that you are doing it and the reward is going to them. You will get reward for the service that you are doing but you would not get reward for the Hajj which you may perform.
after having seen something which is, you know, uh, corrupt, you know the point at which what you saw was not by your choice, and at the point that now what you're seeing is by your choice. You see, when, you're, when, when, what, when what happens, you change from uh, a glance or a look to a steer. Right? When it changes over into the steer, where you're now taking pleasure from your look, then of course you're destroying your fat. What was seen outside of your control, this doesn't destroy your fat. And of course, the greater the trials that you are on in your fast, and the, the more patient you are, the greater the rewards. So conceivably, it is conceivable that somebody fasting in Madrid could get a greater reward for his fast in Madrid, though he's seeing all these things, than a person fasting here in Riyadh, who's not seeing these things. But it, just, it depends on how he handles it. So, you know, we know this is general. This is why even making uh, Umrah in Ramadan, Prophet ﷺ said, one who makes Umrah in Ramadan is like one who makes Hajj with me. Because the trials of making the Umrah, the difficulties that are involved in making Umrah while fasting, you know, because of the trials involved here, the reward becomes even greater. So, uh, this is a general principle that you know, Allah is going to judge us according to our circumstances. He's not going to give you less of a reward. Uh, there's a sister with a, some questions at the back there, please. He's not going to give you less of a reward because of the fact that uh, you are exposed to certain things and give somebody more of a reward because they were not exposed to those things. Because this is outside of your control. If you went to, uh, to Mecca by car from Riyadh with the intention of performing Umrah, do you have to pass from here? If a person went to Mecca by car uh, and they began the fast here, do they have to keep the fast? Yeah. Well, they're traveling, it's like 10 hours, 11 hours. Yeah. Uh, you know it's a 10 or 11 hour journey. Are you required to keep that fast if you began the fast? No. As a traveler, you're allowed to break the fast. However, in the morning, you cannot say, I am going to travel at 12 o'clock, so I'm not going to fast today. Not begin the fast. If you are here in Riyadh, when the time for fasting comes, you have to begin it. Because though it may be your intention to travel at 12 o'clock, you may not be able to travel due to Allah's will coming into effect here. So as long as you're within the, the place, your residence, and uh, you have the ability to fast, you must begin the fast. But once you start your travel, in fact, in other words, Allah's destiny has allowed you to fulfill your will, and you begin the travel, and once you start on your journey, then you're allowed to break your fast. How do you Okay, the distance or uh, time period uh, at which we are allowed to break a fast or to shorten the prayer. There isn't a particular distance. Though some of the schools of Islamic law have set different distances, 
uh, based on different practices of the Prophet Muhammad it has been understood by a number of scholars also that the ultimate determining factor is one's intention that once one has left the boundaries of the town of residence with the intention for travel one is now on a journey one may now begin to break the fast one may now begin to join and to shorten prayers that it is ultimately the intention you know based on the different practices of the Prophet and that he did not in fact specify a distance that whenever you reach certain a distance you can now uh, break the fast or to uh, shorten the prayer uh, question oh this is a rephrased question does one have to sacrifice a sheep if he makes some mistake in the Umrah or did not know the steps of making Umrah Uh, making a sacrifice to correct an error in the Umrah, to make that Umrah acceptable. To tell you the truth, I'm not really too certain on that. Uthman, you have something on that? that for some mistakes of Umrah you may sacrifice an animal to make the Umrah acceptable Hajj is is clear, well known but for Umrah uh, okay Um, to give us the specifics uh, we would have to say wait inshallah until next week we will uh, uh, burden our brother Osman to get the details for us uh, inshallah he's going to be here next Friday to give us the exact details on the what circumstance may one sacrifice and the Umrah become uh, acceptable if they have broken some aspect of it Okay, 
Our brother is outlining a particular case which happened to him in which he had gone to Jiddah with the intention of making Umrah from Riyadh. Following that, he decided to visit some friends in Medina, meaning that he has now left the, the boundaries of the Miqat. He's gone back outside of the Miqat and uh, uh, gone to visit his friends in, in Medina. Then he came back making Ihram from the Miqat of Medina and came in to uh, make his Umrah. And that he was told that this was in fact an error on his part because once he had entered into the passing the boundaries for for Umrah coming from Riyadh, once he had passed those boundaries and gone inside of the the, the area which is considered the, the, the inside the Miqat, then he must now make Umrah before leaving the Miqat. See, it's not the point of whether he came using the Miqat of Riyadh. Because you could leave from Riyadh and make your ihram from the Miqat of Medina. No harm. But it is that you should not go inside of the Miqat with the intention for Umrah and then come back out without making it and then come back in again. So in this case where he had done this, he was told by some of the leading scholars that to correct this mistake on his part, he had to sacrifice an animal. In Mecca, the sacrifice, yeah, is, it should be done in Mecca. Either that the person may send the money down to somebody in Mecca to do it for them, you know, or they go back to Mecca. Next time they go back to Mecca, they make the sacrifice. The miqat being the boundaries uh, set around Mecca, whereby a person who crosses them has to be in a state of ihram with the intention and the dress of the pilgrim. for business with no intention for Umrah 
But you finish your business early and you realize I have some time. Let me do Umrah. In that case, you make your Ihram from Jeddah and go and make your Umrah. And that is perfectly acceptable. But according to the principle that our brother has, uh, has pointed out here, uh, you know, your Umrah would definitely be invalid. Because you've made Ihram inside of the Miqat, which is not allowable. Suppose he goes out and goes to the Miqat while in Jeddah. See, then he is in the case of the brother. He has to make a sacrifice. If he, if he, when he came, if he went to Jeddah, he did his business, then he went back outside of the Miqat. If he went to Taif, because that's the next one. He has to go to Taif and make Ihram from Taif and comes in. Right? If he does that, then he will still have to sacrifice for having come inside of the Miqat with the intention for Umrah and not making the Umrah. But in sacrificing, he would then be able to make his Umrah valid. But if he just did his business, when he finished his business, then he put on his Ihram, made the intention for Umrah, that Umrah is invalid. There are some scholars, I should mention, who do hold that, you know, uh, Ihram from Jiddah, you're coming on a plane, is acceptable. But if this is a minority opinion, and it's not really supported by the... Uh, the, the clear evidence from the Sunnah. Now, uh, in case I'm going here for this place, and I put on my hurrah, and before I do the business, I make over, and then I go and take care of the business. Yeah, yeah, this is the best way. Best way is to come in with your haram, make your umrah, and then do your business. The second best way would be to come in with your intention for Umrah, put on your Ihram, do your business, wearing your Ihram, and then go do your Umrah. Okay, inshallah, I think we uh, should uh, shut down now. Uh, we ask Allah to accept uh, our gathering here as one in which we have sought His pleasure in understanding the khutbah and in learning some of the lessons that may be gained from Ramadan and that we would be among those who when hearing advice act on that advice to benefit from it so it doesn't become a source of punishment for us on the last day Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika Ashadu an la ilaha ant Nastaghfiruka wa natubu alaykum